Hello, everybody. Welcome to Speculative Work. I'm James Aaron. I'm a science fiction writer, and this podcast is an author diary of my work, goals, fumbles, and lessons, so hopefully you don't make the same mistakes I did or that I do. Uh, Here we are at episode 10. Um, I'm recording this on February 4th, 2019. This week, I wanted to talk about the glut of information that's out there for authors these days. Um, where you can find this info, how you can verify it, and some common scams that you could watch out for. In thinking about all this stuff, I've also developed some ideas on how you could decide which info is right for you. Uh, Because sometimes you might find two authors who were explaining how to do something and they both seem equally wrong or equally right. (laughs) So who knows? How do you decide um, what's going to work for you? Uh, But first, let's get into some updates. So, work complete for last week. Uh, I did 11,535 words. I didn't work out what my average was, but I I had some lower days than I've had um, in previous weeks. And as I've been, you know, writing consistently, one of the things that is becoming clear to me are patterns in, you know, what days work best, what days I get more work done. And it really comes down to days when I have time to write at lunch. I can usually get, you know, a thousand words in at lunchtime. Then later on in the evening when I write again, I can very easily get a thousand words done again. And the the scenes kind of flow where, you know, in lunchtime I, I get, you know, one scene done or very well through a scene into a next scene. And then it's really easy to pick it up at night and, and keep going. So that's something I've been trying to do. My work schedule has been really hectic um, this last week, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, So it makes it hard to do that at lunchtime all the time. My job is not one where my time always belongs to me during the day. So I'm doing my best with that. But I am at 57,722 words for the year. Uh, January, I did my own little NaNoWriMo there. I got over 5,000 words which is awesome. This whole streak concept is working really well. And it's, you know, like a lot of habits that I try and work through, I find that I get out of the habit of, you know, marking down that I did the thing each day, which I think is really important. So, you know, certain things I'm doing every day, get up um, as part of my like fitness goals. I'm weighing myself every day. I'm trying to exercise in some way every day, doing the writing, taking my vitamins, um, all sorts of you know basic things but I find that the I still have to mentally think about it like the app is not reminding me to do it I have to think about it and look forward to it and a couple of days I forgot to do some small things like take my vitamins and I felt you know bad about that because that's really easy to do but the writing has been top of mind the whole time and that's probably because I have a project I'm working on but it's been really gratifying to get this much work done you know in just a month and it's exciting. I, when I look back, because I started this current book back in December, and I really wish I had been keeping better notes on when I was writing, because I feel like I could have been done with this project a lot sooner if I had been writing every day, which I wasn't doing, you know, across um, November and December. So uh, this is something I want to get a better handle on, like how, what my rhythms are when it comes to writing and uh, how I can be you know, consistent because I'm being consistent. Now it's a matter of like really figuring out what this information means and how I can make it useful for me. So other things I did this week, I finished AI Superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee, which is a great book. I would really recommend 
any science fiction writer read this book who's interested in near future science fiction. It's, I mean, the thing about it is like, there's a lot of speculative things that he discusses, but there's also a lot of just recent history that I wasn't aware of, especially when it comes to the, the Chinese app market and things that are happening in China right now, where you have some really interesting confluences of government programs with shifts in culture, embrace, you know, embracing technology, while you've also got these other stories of, you know, China, there being oppression and, you know, just, just huge cultural shifts um, and tech being a huge part of that. So all those things were really interesting. And Kai-Fu Lee was actually, he was born in, China, in Taiwan and then moved to the United States when he was seven years old. So he's got a really valuable experience between his Chinese family and what, you know, that, that background and staying really close in touch with um, his family in Taiwan and then growing up in the States and really being interested in AI from an early age. And so he worked for Apple initially, developed voice recognition for Apple, then was part of Google trying to drive Google's initial growth in China and has a lot to say about those experiences before he went off to start his own venture capital fund. And so he was kind of living the life that a lot of technopolists, you know, talk about the kind of Steve Jobs maximized efficiency sort of life and really ran into kind of the same thing that Steve Jobs did. Like, it sounds like he was always just a, a kinder person, I would say. He was just really focused on, you know, his job. I mean, there's there's one part where he talks about really debating. He had to make a, uh, a presentation to, I think it was Tim Cook, and his first child was about to be born. And his, his wife is going into labor, and he's doing this calculus in his mind on how long he can stay and if he needs to leave and... You know, if she has a cesarean, then this will happen sooner and he'll get to go make the presentation. And unfortunately, you know, she has trouble with her labor and they have to do a cesarean. His daughter's born and then he goes and makes the presentation <laughs> and, and he's, he's talking about all these things. Well, he, it's not really a big spoiler to, you know, a big, the last quarter of the book, I guess, would kind of talks about lessons he's learned in trying to maximize his life because he basically is a cancer survivor and kind of do you know balancing what he knows about ai and trying to basically um turn a human life into data you know the ways that we are collecting data in china and the u.s are, are different but where does that that human machine you know melding happen and what you know the machines are only ever going to be as good as us you know our biases and our failings will transfer their way into any artificial intelligence that we create which is also an interesting thing to think about that I explore in, in my novels. But this book, you know, digs into those things and it does it in a way that is current, absolutely current. And so this was really um, a fascinating read and I would recommend it to anyone. It's, I read, it's funny, I, I listened to the book, <clears throat> but um, I read it, I want to say I listened to it in like four days. I mean, just, I was just wanted to get, you know, listen to it every single minute that I possibly could. And I, once I finished it, I went back to Revolt of the Public by Martin Gurry, which is just so dense. And <laughs> this book is maybe 13 hours long. I feel like I've been listening to it for, you know, three months now. I have the print uh, copy as well. So that, and it's a really gorgeous print book. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Um, but I, there are times when I have to, like, go to the print and read something. And I, 
just something about the audio seems to be taking forever. It's a good book. They're really interesting ideas. And also, I mean, some of the things that AI Superpowers touches on, Revolt of the Public, again, like a lot of these other books I've been uh, reading lately, are all kind of interconnected. You know, Revolt, Revolt of the Public is just about the social changes and how, you know, social history is impacting with changes in technology and what that could mean for democracy. So I'll, I'll keep plugging away. I hope one of these weeks I'm going to be able to say that I finished it. <laughs> so uh, I'll keep you posted. Uh, I did some recording on Crash in Love, my novella that is about 100 pages long. And my goal was just to, because it has relatively short chapters, it's like 25,000 word chapters, was just to do like two chapters a day. But what I realized is that recording with the baby um, is very difficult. <laughs> like I just don't have that much time to do it. So for now, I think I'm going to have to try and grab time as I can, but that project is going to take a while, you know, which is fine. There's no timeline on that, but I was, it's not like doing a podcast where I can, if it's okay if there's some mistakes in the podcast or whatever, um, you know, you can tell me that I sound terrible <laughs> and I will do my best to fix it, but reading and reading in a way that is clear and I'm not messing up the words and I'm reading in an energetic and you know, entertaining way is, is a different kind of thing. And it takes more time. And it also takes a little bit of editing because I don't want to go back and try and fix things later. I want to try and fix, you know, each chapter as I go while it's fresh in my mind. So that takes a little bit of time as well. I'm using Audacity for that and my Tascam DR05 recorder, which is what I use for this as well, and a lapel mic. And it sounds okay. I mean, I don't, use sound dampening in, in the room I record in. So that's probably going to be an issue, but it's kind of interesting, you know, Revolt of the Public actually sounds like it's being run through some kind of, um, you know, thirties microphone <laughs> and it was fine on audible. So I've kind of had in the back of my mind, like eventually this, I would like this to be a thing that could maybe be available. You know, my goal was to use it as a reader magnet, but maybe eventually it could be on some other service, you know, as just another source of income. So I want it to be quality, um, you know, a quality product. So keep you posted on that. Um, recorded a sentence to paragraph podcast, which was great. And then we also did an Aon 14 podcast with the team on Sunday and that was fun. And we hadn't talked in like three weeks, I want to say, or four weeks. We pushed two hours with that recording. And it's funny because there was kind of a rhythm in our, we started out, we were going to talk about kind of the future of work and and why would people would even need to work post singularity or what work will look like and it took us a little while to warm up on the subject and so by the time we were probably an hour and 20 minutes into the podcast i want to say by the time we were through everything we just updates and things like that and then uh lisa richmond her new book epsilon eridney uh launched last week and so we were talking about that as well and uh it's just funny like we kind of got had gotten out of our rhythm and we hadn't talked to each other in a while and now we you know we got back into it so one cool thing with that is that the fans had started saying hey i just finished the podcast and i what's happening are you guys doing more of it because we we kind of reached a point where i won't say we've run out of things to say but i think we you reach that point where you, where you need to decide if you want to keep doing something and how we can kind of formalize what the podcast is going to be and i think it always helps when somebody chimes in and says, Hey, I like what you're doing. And we had a bunch of people that did that. So, so that, that felt good. Cause I was never quite sure if it was something we would keep doing, if it was valuable to folks or not. And, you know, 
people just wanted to listen to us talk. <laughs> but um, it's it's been good so far, and I think it's kind of doing something different than what other folks are are doing. So it's um, I don't know. For me, it just all adds to kind of the experience of Aon 14. So I think it's a, it's a good thing, and I I enjoy doing it. It's tough with the baby because it means I have to get like getting everybody's time schedules synced up means I have to get up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday, which is not my favorite, but, uh, you know, rock on. Uh, <laughs> so I met with the accountant today. Uh, I talked about that previously in the episode on accounting for authors. And it's kind of funny when I look at the download stats, like currently that is the lowest down has the least downloads of any episode <laughs> of speculative work um which is funny because me something i've learned in my life is that if something stresses me out i want to embrace it right i, would, I just want to jump into it like balancing my checkbook health insurance and you know retirement stuff like that anything that for me causes me any kinds of anxiety you just got to jump in and do it and accounting is like that and like i said i've been through a business before which was dealing personally with a lot more money than writing does but we did not have good accounting. And I think that was a large part of my anxiety with that business and why I eventually left it because I didn't have good accounting practices with um, my business partner. And that is not something I want to do again. It's not a, a mistake I want to repeat. So anyway, I mean, last year I made 21,000 on five books uh, and six audio. So, uh, you know, if you think about the fact that I'm splitting that 50-50 with Michael Cooper, um, you know, I definitely benefit from being part of Michael's ecosystem. If I were writing on my own, you know, I would be a five figure author or whatever. I, I guess I am that. Um, but that feels good. I mean, the fact that I need to pay taxes is obviously something that has to be figured out. And I think I'll have enough, you know, we'll be fine with that. So I probably won't be owing taxes. Um, cause I also have like all the things that I like to buy, like books and, you know, computer parts and whatnot are things that can go into supporting the business. So that that's going to work out. Um, but if, if it was something where I was, you know, on my own, I could potentially almost be supporting us with that. You know, as it is now, I can pretty much pay our mortgage payment, you know, and more with, uh, with what I'm making off the writing. So I want to set all these things up correctly. And so three years from now, I'm not looking back, wishing I had done this differently, you know, when, as things progress from hopefully we go from 21,000 to, you know, if we can get to 35,000 this year and uh, we'll see what happens after that. Uh, I just hit 250 reviews on all the all the books on Audible. That's pretty cool. Like they just keep ticking along. We are getting ready to do our second collection anthology or collection omnibus on Audible, which will be Lissa's Fire, and that's going to collect um, Lissa's Call, Lissa's Flame, and uh, Vesta Burning. So the last two books in the series, and then kind of the midpoint book that uh that i wrote that's the lead into the next series so i think that should be you know it's going to be interesting because we we have that on that omnibus of the first three books on on audio and it's been selling really well and it also drives sales of the other single books so doing a second omnibus uh, we may end up losing some money on the individual titles but it also may you know spur some more sales and you know all i can track is is sales rank i don't Michael sends me updates, but daily I don't get to see like what the sales are. Um, but most of the books have settled down to around, you know, they, they bob up and down, but around 30,000 sales rank. So they're doing, you know, six copies a day, somewhere in there. Um, so if we do this, this omnibus, it might, um, 
don't know because you, you can do the the match the matchbook with Audible, and then you also make slightly more money on Audible. Um, and they could also kick up page reads if there's two omnibuses in Kindle Unlimited. And my series will probably be staying in Kindle Unlimited for a while, even though Michael is transitioning some of his books to uh, Kobo and Barnes and Noble and things like that. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what's going to happen. But that'll be a new product to you know in the lineup, and that will mean that I'll have nine, well eight books for sale at that point, or eight products of some kind. And then once you know the next book comes out in March, uh, we'll be heading up into you know nine and ten. So that's exciting. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. I've I've actually had this has been the longest break I've had in publishing something for um, since last year. So that's uh, we'll see how that happens as the sales kind of settle out. I can talk about that more next time. So my day job has been really exhausting this last week. We've been in the midst of a big transition that is stressing everyone out, and had some things happen this weekend with like some last minute changes that just kind of felt like a bomb getting set off and something that was really apparent to me is how hard it is to focus on writing when my work is in turmoil and it just you know all these things start running through my mind about you know what's (laughs) is do I do I want to do this do I want to keep doing this do I want to do something else should is it time to find a different job do I want to have a job why don't I write full-time like all these other things start moving through my mind and you know things settled down today it was fine I I tend to in a lack of information, I, you know, get myself spun up on other, you know, what are my options? What can I do? What can I do? Because I have a family I got to take care of, right? So that's why, again, you know, like the accounting thing for me, more information is better. <laughs> Less information just freaks me out. So, um, but it, it definitely does show me how difficult it can be to focus on being creative when my day job is, you know, up and down. And that, has happened quite a bit recently. So that's something that has been on my mind. Um, but the novel project is at 79,000 words. I think it will probably finish up around 8,000. We'll see. I'm in the point where I'm chasing the ending, uh, which, which happens. Um, always seem to reach that at this point in the process. I had really been struggling with the title of the novel. I just, it was originally Lunar Uprising, uh, which kind of drove a plot point of an uprising on Luna, the moon, and but it ended up that Michael had already set that aside for a Venusian uprising, so we couldn't use uprising. So then we were trying to, and that kind of like drove all the other titles in the series. Um, but I just didn't like Lunar Crisis, and I've been trying to think of some other things. Um, one great word I came across is exigency, which also means crisis, but uh, it, it, even though it looks cool, People don't know what, you know, wouldn't know what it was. Like, I didn't know what it was immediately. I had to look it up. It was a, a, a word I found as a synonym to crisis. So it's a great word. I would love to find other ways to maybe use that in like a short story title or something. But it wouldn't work for a novel. And so one title I'm, I'm kind of playing with my mind right now is uh, Stars the Hard Way, which is a play on something inside the book. But it's also, there's a Soviet science fiction movie called um, To the Stars by Hard Ways. And I've played with that title in some other like little references um, in some of the other books, but I've always liked it, and I think we might we might go with it, but it does change the naming convention in the rest of the series, so that's something we'll have to we'll have to play with. I mean, these are problems to think about when you're trying to do, you know, fi- a five book series, and you want to have similar naming conventions so people know how the series is are all related to each other. 
Um, but it's a, you know, so it can be a challenge. <laughs> so I'll keep you posted on that. For now, stars the hard way is what I'm kind of excited about and I'm letting it roll around in my mind. I changed, you know, everything on the manuscript so I can look at it every time I open it up. And that's how I kind of let these things settle in, you know, and, and I think saying it out loud, we have, I haven't started asking other people very much for feedback except for Michael. And, um, well, I'll keep you posted on that. So, um, yeah, as the street continues, like I said, I'm learning new things about how and when I write. And I'm thinking back to some books I read originally about increasing your word count, which was Rachel Aaron's 2K to 10K and Chris Fox's 5,000 Words an Hour, which if you have not read those books, I would definitely check them out. Because for me personally, that was in reading those books and how they kind of approached, uh, you know, sprints and focusing on word counts and production in a systematic way and really thinking about your creativity systematically my productivity like went through the roof um, after reading those books so i would highly recommend them to anyone who has not who has not read them so okay topic uh today i wanted to talk about as a writer starting out you're trying to gather information you're trying to learn things about independent publishing you may be in an author's group of folks who are focused on the traditional route on magazines uh, on writers of the future or maybe they just don't even know. They just get together because they enjoy reading each other's work, talking about writing, supporting each other, and nobody is necessarily focused on the commercial aspect of writing. But once you decide that, you know, maybe you had a manuscript that you were trying to get through some editors or agents and it's not going anywhere, so you've looked at this independent publishing thing and you think maybe I'll, you know, I could experiment with, uh, with Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Kobo. Where do I get information about how to do that? And when I find information, how can I trust that people aren't just out trying to bilk me for money? <laughs> because, you know, we, we often hear like one of the sort of disparagements that's thrown at self-publishing or indie publishing is that it's just vanity publishing, which is not the case anymore. And as I've talked about in some other episodes, you know, indie publishing is really shaking out into a more agile form of trad publishing, it just means that you've got smaller companies with smaller teams that are producing work faster. And so each, you know, so-called self-published author who is successful right now has a whole team about them that is doing the same things a trad house would do. They're just doing it faster and they're doing it in different ways and they're focused on audience building in different ways than trad publishing might be. But for the person who's, who's not part of a team like that, it can really feel like you're just out there on your own. And for me, like, I think the thing to start with is it all kind of comes back to your, your goals. Uh, you know, for some folks that, you know, they might be later in life, their sole goal was just to write one book to say that they had done that. And once they do, and it's available on Amazon or wherever for family to see and purchase, that's their goal. And that's, that's fine. And if that's all you want to do, then maybe a author services publisher or uh, they're going by different names now. They could call themselves author services, um, a publishing guide. Uh, Basically what they do is for a fee, they will take the manuscript, do potentially a certain amount of editing on it, format the manuscript, you know, run it through a, uh, get it formatted for ebook and print. If you, you know, most of them have like pay schedules and then get it up on Amazon to be available. And that can cost anywhere from you know $1,500 to I've seen people have paid as much as $5,000 for that. And depending on what your goals are, that's, you know, it's not necessarily vanity 
publishing, um, it's you paid for a service and they took care of all these things that yes, you could figure out how to do yourself, but if time is an issue, if you just don't know how to do it and don't want to track down this information on your own, then that could be valuable to you. What I would say is that you still have the internet available to you and you still have plenty of authors out there who potentially could could give you some assistance, even folks in your writing group, uh, to just talk about your project. Like don't don't find some company, you know, at 11 o'clock at night when you're surfing around on the internet um, and just put that on a credit card and, and run with it, right? <laughs> you know, none of, the, none of these things have to be done in a hurry. You can research and talk to people about something if, if that's your goal. And you can also compare prices, I would say. You know, you might come into a group and talk about what you're, what you're thinking about and people will tell you, oh, no, no, don't do that because you can do it for free um, for X, Y, and Z. And, um, and that's, that's true, you can. And I, I would never do this personally myself, but I know for some people it might be the right way to go. But, you know, be really clear about what your goals are with folks and they might give you good, good advice about it. Um, but again, communicating is what's going to help get you information about things. And if, if there's one thing to be said about the time that we're working in, it's that there are thousands of people out there that you can talk to about what your what it is you just need to know what your goal is so that people can give you meaningful advice because otherwise they're going to give you advice that is not useful to you so so let's say that you are you're not doing that like you're you're like me and you're at the beginning of what you hope is a a long career as an author that will you know shift with these changes that are going on you can be overwhelmed by the amount of information that's out there and for me i i'm trying to remember like how the information journey first started. You know, I was in a, in a writer's group with folks that had been doing the traditional thing for a long time. The group had developed a lot, you know, many, uh, you know, well-respected authors who've won awards, who won Writers of the Future, who went on to publication, you know, with uh, all, the, all the big publishers. And so they were really focused on that traditional magazine anthology Writers of the Future route. And and that was good. That's good information. I learned a ton about writing and working with those folks. And I'm still, like I said in the previous episode, I'm not, I certainly haven't closed the door on that. It just depends on what project you want to work on. But I started looking at just what, what else was out there for publishing, right? What I, I had learned about Kindle. I had learned about what Amazon was doing. And then it was always, you know, rather than sort of disparaging it, I just wanted to learn more about it. So I think it was Google or somebody mentioned a thing called K-Boards, which is just K-B-O-A-R-D-S, K-Boards. It's a site that originally started for people to talk about their Kindles. And there's a subset of it called the Writer's Cafe. That was where a lot of, um, you know, indie authors gathered and shared information. And they still do. Um, even though a lot of it has kind of moved away from K-Boards, there is a ton of you know, information that can be searched there. And I would say that's kind of the best thing about Kboards is that you can search all the old posts and you can see all these people, you know, commenting on questions and, and things like that, that works so much better than Facebook does. Like Facebook might have the most up-to-date information, but it's all walled off uh, within private groups potentially, or even public groups that have so much, you know, the signal to noise ratio on that information is, is difficult to sift through and it's hard to search. But that's what Kboards is, is good for. Uh, the next place to look would be Facebook. And Facebook even, you know, so I'm an admin of 20 books to 50K. And even 20 books is, 
if you're not aware of it, is a it's just a writers group with up to I think we're pushing twenty eight thousand people now. So it's it's big and there's a lot of people and they that cycle through and it's hard to keep authors that are doing well engaged with the group because there's just a constant influx of new authors that are looking for information. And because it's difficult to search the group, there's kind of the same questions over and over and over again, which I think exhausts a lot of people. But it is a place to get like the most up-to-date information. And we really, we encourage people to share information more than just ask questions because otherwise you just get overwhelmed by questions and repetitive questions. And, and also when somebody answers a question with a comment, it's very difficult to gauge if that person knows what they're talking about or not. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute on how to uh, gauge some of those things. So with Facebook, you can either, you know, once you're in Facebook, you have to have a Facebook account. You can just search for author groups. If it's a closed group, you can usually just request, you know, access and depending on what the group's requirements are, you'll get access. The other way would be to build relationships on Facebook with authors that you admire. And this is one thing I wanted to, to talk about, uh, well, I guess I'll talk about it in a minute, but a lot of, uh, private groups run by authors are like invitation only, you know, that are on Facebook. And so the only way really to get access to those places is to build relationships. And like I talked about last week, one of the things that's really useful to authors that are trying to market on social media is when they have readers that are engaged with their social media. And then once you kind of build that relationship as a reader, if you know, it's, it's natural for you to mention that I'm a writer, then that writer will feel, um, you know, more, they'll be more likely to be invested in you and be interested in assisting you or, you know, offering you advice or answering questions, things like that, because you've kind of given generously of your time in helping to support their social media, you know, commenting on Facebook, posting on their Facebook groups in a, you know, a good way that helps the community, you know, that helps build community on their social media, because to an author, that's, that's gold, you know, to have a, a Facebook group that is self-supporting and growing and interesting for people. Um, that's the kind of thing that, that sells books, you know, so if you can help with that, that's much more likely to get that author to potentially then assist you if you have questions. Uh, YouTube is also, there is a lot of stuff on YouTube, but it's kind of a, a mess. Um, you know, Chris Fox has a series of, uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, Lindsay Baroker and her science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast is on YouTube. Zach Bohannon and Jay Thorne have their career author podcast on YouTube. I mean, the nice thing about YouTube is just you can really quickly see if it's, you know, if the person is crazy or not. Um, but it can be a place to start. Uh, another place would be courses that have Facebook groups that tend to be closed, but that there's kind of a, you know, a barrier entry there. Like they only let people in that have been part of the group or have paid for the course. So, you know, everybody has a base level of information and knowledge and that can save you time. So you're not sorting through, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, the basics that people already know, like people aren't wandering into a group like that saying, how do I publish on Amazon? If that was already covered in the course, uh, other Facebook groups or authors can help you vet courses to tell if they're worthwhile or not. Um, and most good courses, like if we'll offer a money back guarantee, like if you get through the course and you don't think it was worthwhile, um, the best ones say, Hey, we'll give you your money back. Um, or at least there's some kind of turnaround point where you can, you know, they'll do that. Mark Dawson's self-publishing course is one that uh, is pretty generally respected and he's got a very lively uh, Facebook group and also a private group for, um, you know, folks that have taken the course. 
Same thing with the self, um, the sell more book show has a good one. Brian Meeks has one. Um, they're, they're out there, you know, and they're, it's going to change all the time, but if there's a course or some kind of like a YouTube channel that you really like their content, they'll usually have some kind of community that you could, um, you know, be a part of Slack is another, you know, it's Slack is a, a messaging app that a lot of businesses use, but as different writers groups get sick of Facebook, they're moving to Slack. And, and I, like we use Slack for Ann 14 and I know like Michael Anderley's group, LMBPN uses Slack as well. And it's a lot more immediate. It's a lot, you feel like you're having a conversation with folks as opposed to Facebook. Um, so that's something, you know, being part of a private Slack channel can also be really valuable because it's, it's probably the next best thing to actually being in a room talking to somebody to, to develop relationships with them. And then, so when I talked about authors, you know, author groups, how do you find, how do you find those groups, right? Facebook is huge. Well, I think it all comes back to what it is you want to accomplish as a writer. And it, for me, it all starts with like reading authors that I love, you know, as, as soon as I read a book that I love, like I go look up that author and see what their social media is and how I could potentially connect with them. And if they have a Facebook presence or I really don't like Twitter. Um, but you know, a lot of authors are on Twitter or Instagram, things like that. And that's, I'm going to kind of come back to that, but identifying the books that you love and you want your books to be like on, you know, as a reader and on Amazon and how they might be selling on Amazon. For me, that's kind of a, a pole star on where to direct my efforts. I mean, that's why I feel really fortunate to work with Michael Cooper because I enjoyed his books. I respect him as a writer. I respect him as a business person. And it was really, you know, once we were able to develop that relationship, like his books, I think are great examples for other authors who are maybe trying to, you know, build a following in space opera or military science fiction. Um, he's experimented with a lot of different things and it's easy to see that on his Amazon page. Um, so that can be a way to, you know, find authors that you like and love and look at what they're doing on Amazon. Because like I talked about last week, Amazon makes it possible for you to research so many different things, you know, from the individual author to the publisher, to the genre, to the subcategory on Amazon. Um, it's all right there for you to look at and study and then, you know, get quick access to the books as well. You know, just imagine trying to sort through, you know, wander through a 10 Barnes and Nobles so you can see all the science, you know, the, the print science fiction that's actually available right now. Um, so that, for me, that's where I kind of start is authors that you love and then maybe follow that back to social media and use that to find where they might be interacting or where they have groups of people. And you'll find that, you know, a lot of science fiction and fantasy authors are readers. And so even in the fan, like the fantasy subreddit is really active and it's really active with a lot of writers. And like whenever Michael Sullivan pops up on there and, and gives some input on something, a lot of writers come out of the woodwork. And so that can be a good place to network as well with, with writers. Um, Reddit's not the best for like individual conversations, but at least it's, you know, you can find out who those writers are and if they're active on, you know, Reddit or social media, they're usually willing to talk if you have questions and things like that. And, and that one-on-one -on -one assistance can be really valuable rather than trying to sort through, um, you know, something on Facebook and depending on, this is where it comes back to if somebody's feeding you a line or not, all you got to do is look at their books and see like, okay, this person's telling me that they're, they're selling, but if I know they're in Kindle Unlimited, so they're, they're exclusive to Amazon and I look at their, you know, Amazon product page and I see that the books are ranked in the millions, well, they're not selling. 
And so they might be telling you, they might be giving you advice and not to say it's, it's bad advice, but that's just a data point to consider, right? Because somebody might be telling you that, nah, you don't need an email list or no, you don't need to advertise or, you know, write what's in your heart. Not to say that's bad advice, but it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to sell and make an income and that person isn't doing maybe what it is you want to do, um, maybe it's time to look for a different mentor, you know? So, so you can kind of, you can verify those things. And if you've never done that before, if you basically go to any product page on Amazon for a book that's, that's in Kindle, um, I will say that it, you know, or, or in the, uh, the, you know, Kindle ebook, um, this isn't as easy to track for print and things like that, but within Kindle and the Kindle store, if you go down to sales rank, there'll be a number there, you know, anywhere from, you know, a book that's selling thousands of copies a day is going to be, you know, in the hundreds, um, going all the way up to the millions. Right. And so with that number, you can then go to Google and look up the, uh, Kindlepreneur, uh, which is, it's like Kindle and entrepreneur combined. Um, Dave Chesson's site, and he has a calculator, a sales rank calculator, where you can enter that in, and it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's not completely spot on, but it's pretty good to be able to tell like how many copies a day that book is selling. Um, so you can kind of see where that person is at on whether or not there are, you know, what they're saying is is worthwhile advice or not. Um, and one of the things that we say in twenty books all the time is that you know probably something will work. And we've had really you know strong disagreements even among the admins who are all writers that have been doing this for a while that what worked for you um, may not work for someone else. Or if somebody says you must do something, as soon as someone says that, there'll be another person that didn't do that and found success. Um, but I think it comes back to really defining success and finding models that work for your brand of success. Okay, so what are some pitfalls when you're trying to sort through this deluge of information? Um, one thing is that every jerk has an opinion, right? We're all writers. <laughs> um, so for the most part, we kind of have an opinion. But I would also say that for the number of people that are vocal, um, there's probably, that's 10%. There's a good 90% that are just lurking. Um, and it's always kind of said that the most successful writers out there, you'll never hear about them because they're not posting about how they're doing on social media, you know, or, or Facebook. Because there are some people that have come from business and they're very used to, like, if I have a trade secret, I'm not sharing that with anybody, right? If I've got the, the golden calf, I am, or the golden goose, I am not going to allow other people to, you know, stab my golden goose. <laughs> and whereas other people feel like they just have to go out and share all this information about how they're doing. And maybe that gets to the validation thing that people need. One of the things you'll see in, in the 20 Books Facebook group is that folks are always sharing their book report numbers on how much they made for a year. And um, I think if I was probably less solely reliant on the money I make from writing right now, I would be much more private about it. Um, but for now, it's it's okay to talk about it for me. I don't know that it'll always be that way. But um, just remember that, you know, if somebody is giving like a really strong opinion about something, it, that's what worked for them. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you, for your genre, for your book. Um, every book, every writer has different requirements and marketing techniques. Everybody has different audiences. And I would say like one of the things that I always find really interesting is everybody comes to Facebook groups looking for information when rather than polling a bunch of writers, go poll readers because readers are the ones that buy books. And so, uh, you know, what are... If there are questions about if any if any question ever comes up that could be answered by readers, you know, 
Do you like this cover? Do you like this blurb? Which title is better? What kind of character do you like? Um, you know, why is this book not working in this genre? Like writers can tell you what they think for them, but they're not the ones buying the book. So find out a way to pull readers. And again, if you've been like giving generously in a Facebook group of an author that's writing the kind of thing that you're trying to write and being successful in that genre, well, one of the things that is gold about that is you've got a group of engaged readers that will probably give you advice. You know, you probably, I would check in with that writer to ask, you know, if it's cool, if you ask those questions before you do it in their group. But if it's something that's going to lead to engagement, especially if it's something that can be uh, kind of couched in like a pop culture kind of thing, like maybe your book is, if it's really like from a Battlestar Galactica, you know, angle, like if it's really angsty, it's like new, new BSG, or if it's like Star Wars, you know, Space Wizards, it's like old BSG, um, which do you prefer? And then you can get that, you know, get a bunch of engagement from from fans, but that gives you information to maybe help with the thing you're trying to, um, trying to find out. So, so remember that, just remember that, you know, even within a thread of people giving you information, um, you know, you could have 50, 50 on an answer for something, you know, should I have an email newsletter or not? And of the people that were paying attention that day that saw your post, you know, 50 said yes. And 50 said no. Um, so you always got to look at like sampling bias, um, all those things. And ultimately it doesn't matter what a bunch of writers think, find the readers and find out what they, what they think. Um, also remember that the market keeps changing. So what, and this is where when it gets to searching, it's something to keep in mind, like the information on keyboards might be valuable, but it could also be old. And so that's always something to keep in mind that this is a market that keeps changing continuously. And, um, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to two books that I read back in 2014. I want to say, um, write, publish, repeat by the guys that, uh, did the self-publishing roundtable, and, uh, let's get digital by Dave Gogren. And both those books are kind of out of, well, I would say let's get, let's get digital is pretty evergreen. Um, write, publish, repeat is probably out of date at this point, but they were still, they're very encouraging books to read. And so with any of the things that you kind of absorb from this you know, tsunami, there'll be things you throw away or that you should really think critically about. You know, one of the things about write, publish, repeat was they were talking about publishing a book every two weeks. And I was just like, how are they doing this? And then I finally realized that when they were talking about books, they were talking about a 30,000 word, what I would consider a novella based on the traditional publishing model I was coming from, but they were publishing those shorter books, which were successful uh, on Kindle and then bundling them into omnibus editions and, you know, doing those and that model was working them for them for a while. It's not as successful now, but that kind of that out of the box thinking about a product on Kindle, I think is still really valuable. And it also really got me outside of my thinking of what do readers think about these things? Like a reader doesn't know what a novella is. A reader knows what a full story is and they know what price it is. Um, it's like Martha Wells murder bot novellas now. Um, I've heard so many complaints about the prices on those things because they're novellas, but Tor is charging like $9.99 for them. And they're great, but they're getting kind of eviscerated in reviews because they're too expensive. Um, so it, you know, the readers have expectations. And if you are misjudging those expectations, the market is not going to reward you. But this market, you know, is not it does not use the same terms necessarily that folks that maybe have been reading for a long time or have been involved in publishing, um, 
you know, these new readers don't talk the same way. And so if you learn to speak the language of the readers, that means you're going to connect with them and you're going to sell more books. So those are things to keep in mind. You know, somebody comes into a group and is talking about, you know, making a cover on Canva and, you know, the book designer in me is just like, ah, don't do that. That's like sunlight to vampires. And, but, you know, it's a, it's a pro it's an idea. And if it makes a cover that sells a book and it costs them nothing and it fits their genre, um, that's, that's fine. That, this is kind of the market that we're in. Right. So, but again, that's the kind of thing where you could kind of hear what that person said, like, Oh, I just made a cover on Canva and it was fine. Okay. Well, if they're using their actual name and you can look up, look them up on Amazon, look at their covers, look at if they're selling, um, you can kind of vet that information and see how it's, um, you know, how much you should listen to that. So some other notes, uh, talked about, you know, looking at how much they're selling. I would say judge their voice. Uh, are they giving generously? Are they being kind when they give advice or are they being just kind of an ass? Um, those are people I tend to discount or they might be, I, I don't, I don't know. I'll listen to what they have to say, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to like invest time in trying to develop a relationship with them. Uh, one thing I've noticed a lot of is someone will kind of string people along like, well, yeah, if you, you know, send me a private message and I'll tell you, I'll explain to you what I did. And to me, giving generously is explaining, you know, laying that out what you did in a comment or a post, because that's giving generously to the community. And then people will, um, you know, that, that's, that's helping other people, <laughs> you know, and if somebody is, is doing that, cause as soon as you say like PM me, you know, now for me, that's just kind of a cold lead or actually a warm lead on selling something. And you got to wonder like what that person's ultimate goal is. Um, you know, writers that are selling well are too busy to try and sell course, you know, sell other things quite often. I mean, I'm, that's not par for the course of, you know, obviously, but for a lot of, a lot of folks, um, that tends to be the, the situation. Um, let's see, definitely don't be afraid to ask other authors. Like if there's a service that you're thinking about purchasing, like a course, or if you heard some advice, you know, that you're not sure about, find those people that are working in your specific genre and, you know, reach out to them, ask them, you know, build relationships so that, uh, you know, you can get more information use search. Uh, I think that's one thing I don't see a lot of people like they'll ask, come into a group and ask a question and then just basically take what everyone says as the answer. And you're just getting a sample of the people that were there at that moment to answer your question. You know, there's so many options out there to search on how to do things from keyboards to Facebook to, um, you know, there are plenty of people still writing blogs on how to do things. Uh, the creative pen, Joanna Penn's site is a huge source of information. I mean, she's got 10 years of information on publishing that you can search that will tell you to do how to do pretty much everything. Um, so Google is really your friend there. I would say that if somebody, it seems like they're leading you down a road to buy something, don't be afraid to ask really direct questions. You know, is this a course? Um, like, Hey, I was really just trying to get an answer on this. Is that something you can help me out with? If not, you know, thank you. I appreciate your time. Um, you know, and look somewhere else, you know, is it, is it really a genuine uh, network, you know, a genuine connection that you might have developed with someone? And again, if you come, if you've come to them generously with your time investing in them as a reader or, you know, and then moving into organically sharing that you're an author, they're much more likely to help you. Um, you know, some authors are busy. Like when I was a distiller, 
uh, we'd have people contacting us all the time, wanting us to teach them how to be distillers. And it finally, I knew some people who owned distilleries that would just be like, yeah, it's $2,000 for the course, you know, just as a way to shut people up. Um, so, uh, it can get overwhelming, especially for the authors that are like doing really well. So maybe focus on those writers that are just a little, you know, a couple runs ahead of you on the ladder. And, you know, cause that's a, that's a person you can develop a, a meaningful connection with. Um, don't spend any money. I, this, this one has to go both ways. Cause I think there are courses out there. Like I think Mark, Mark Dawson's course is worth, is worth it. I think you will get your money back on that course. Um, but really, you know, do your homework. And I wish that I had listened to this advice when I first started and just, if somebody's trying to sell, like be aware of somebody's trying to sell me something and just don't, you know, a hundred dollars here, a hundred dollars there. Like I would tell myself I'm investing in the business, but I wasn't making any money. And so that was just a wasted hundred dollars. Um, so, so yeah, just really take that, you know, don't be afraid to ask other people about a service someone might be selling. Um, and then I think, let's see, so col conflicting advice would be kind of my last thing to talk about because you could have two successful authors giving the same, giving opposite bits of advice. And, um, I think it comes back to, you know, where your passion is and what path you want to take. Do you want to write, you know, really commercial fiction that might be a flash in the pan in a genre that you're not passionate about, um, to make some money? Um, that's a path, you know, I, I just read a debate today where somebody was saying that, why would you ever use a pen name? That makes no sense. I use my real name and writer, you know, readers follow me like, well, that hasn't been my experience in this new marketplace. Like readers are very sensitive to if they follow an author an you know, a pen name and all of a sudden the genre switches on them from science fiction to post-apoc and they hate post-apocalyptic, you're going to see it in the reviews. Um, and we live in a time when it's depending on what your goal is, like it's pretty easy to do multiple pen names. Um, or just even lightly, you know, different pen names. That's kind of what I do. Like, if you want to know who I am, it's pretty easy to figure that out. But if you're just searching on Kindle, uh, at least you search by that specific author name. And that's, you know, right now the science fiction is what comes up. But thinking it really clearly about what your goal is, I think helps you make those decisions. Um, I want to have a long-term career that's built on great relationships uh, and giving to the author community because it gives back to me. Um, and that's my goal, you know, so, but I'm also fortunate that I don't have to try and pay the bills with, with this right now. You know, if I lost my job tomorrow and I needed to rethink what I was writing, I would probably make some different decisions. So those are things to think about. And again, like to verify conflicting advice, just network, communicate, reach out to people, talk to multiple people. You know, that's what the internet's good for, you know, use it to, to communicate with people. The worst somebody's going to tell you is no, leave me alone. And there will probably be somebody else that would be willing to talk. Just like I said, you know, verify, you know, think about how you're, how you're coming to that person. Um, don't be afraid to try new things. Um, it could be, you know, advice you don't agree with, but maybe it's something, you know, it's time to try that, that new different thing. Um, remember that a book is an asset that can be recycled, rejuvenated, renovated over time. I was just reading some really interesting advice today where, uh, a, you know, an author had, a series that had not been selling well. They were, they're also bought, um, books on Amazon were kind of messed up. And the, the advice they were kind of getting was to unpublish the books, um, give them new covers, kind of do a refresh and then republish with a new marketing plan. And 
we're in a time when you can do that, you know, and when you're trying to sell on Amazon, which has a really specific way of doing things, if you didn't hit it the first time, we have options to do it again. You know, you don't have to turn around and write something all over again. But again, that's that's some pretty extreme advice. And that's that's advice that I would probably vet with quite a few people before I invested the time in doing that. Because, you know, one of the things as a writer, uh, you know, we talk about you write books, right? You're an author who writes. And so getting over-invested in something you've already done, sometimes it's a better use of your time just to write something new that's to try and hit this specific uh, target or this kind of specific plan that you might see working for, for other folks. So I hope I hope that's help, helpful. Um, I'm, I'm curious what other folks do to, you know, vet and verify information that they receive. So I haven't asked anybody to leave comments on any of the podcast stuff, but I think if you have guidance for this or things that have worked for you, it would be great to hear some comments about that because I think this is something that causes people a lot of anxiety. You know, you want to be successful as a writer. And if we're going to define success as selling copies of the work, that's a whole other skill that, you know, most people that started writing didn't even think about when they started. So it's a, it's a totally different skill. And uh, any advice that you, that you might have, I think would be really helpful. So, you know, how do you sort through the deluge of information that is out there to find, to find the jewels that help you be successful? So goals for next week, uh, continue the streak of writing every day, write at least 1500 words if I, if I can. Um, I'm chasing the end on this book. So by next week, I'm, I hope I can be telling you that it's done. We'll see. I think I'm, I'm very close. Um, post more things to my website. I've been posting a lot of stuff to Facebook, but I need to get in the workflow of posting to my website. And then I think I need to get an email newsletter out. We'll see what, what happens there. So <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll keep trying. Again, like of the things I need to do in the time I have, the email newsletter keeps slipping. But I, it's like itching at me in the back of my head. I know it's something that I need to do. So anyway... Um, Thanks for listening. If you have a topic you would like to hear about, uh, please don't hesitate to shoot me an email or hit me up on Facebook and let me know. And I will do my best to, uh, to help out. So until then, happy writing, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.